Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians, and actually we'll test your dexterity today, and we're going to look also at uh, Psalm 4. Galatians, though, I guess first, found in the New Testament, it's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Romans and Acts and so forth, uh, but before you get to Hebrews and Revelation, it's tucked uh, in there next to Ephesians and Philippians, so Galatians will be the first passage that we will look at, and then you can also, if you want to, probably almost Right in the middle of your Bible, if you just flip it open, is Psalm uh, 4, and you can mark that. We'll read that in just a moment as well. We continue this morning a series that we just began uh, last week, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, uh, listed in that Galatians passage we'll read in just a second. We want to focus this morning on this theme of joy and how we can have fullness of joy in God. In who He is. And we'll read the passage from Galatians. And then we'll take a look at this psalm passage. And let me give just a word of introduction uh, to it. Because David in this Psalm 4 is focusing on this theme of joy. And he's in a particular situation, it would seem. That this passage was written most likely in the time when he was facing the difficulty of his son Absalom's rebellion. Now, when we think of sort of youthful rebellion, we might have uh, in our mind uh, going to a detention after school, maybe getting in a little bit of trouble having to go to your room for a bit. Uh, This was a different story with Absalom, who had gathered together an entire army to seek to overthrow the kingdom of his own father. And so you can imagine David needing to remember where his joy comes from in the midst of this difficulty. So he, along with Paul this morning, I hope will help us to remember as well where we can find tremendous joy for this life in the Lord. I invite you to stand in honor and recognition of God's Word, its power, its truth, its authority, its grace, its blessing to us. I'll read this Galatians passage and then we'll take a look at Psalm 4. You can just read along silently with me. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then Psalm 4, just the last three verses, David declares, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of Your face upon us, O Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You may be seated. And as you do, let me pray again for our time. Father, it's our desire each week 
to grow in you during our time of hearing your word preached. And so I pray that you would just be pleased to do that. And in particular, that you would equip us to apprehend and to receive and to hold on to and to celebrate the joy that comes from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about 12, maybe 13 years or so ago, I guess, I had the chance to lead a college group, a group of college students, down to Honduras for a mission trip. And part of our time during that trip was going to be to get out of the city that we were in and go up into the mountain regions and take some supplies to a little tiny village off number of miles back into the mountains just as a way to serve the missionaries we were with had developed a a connection with this particular little village and so we loaded up you know thinking in our uh, college age and me not that much older than those college youngsters that we were in pretty good shape and could handle this hike and we had brought backpacks along for it they loaded us down probably each with you know 40 pounds or so worth of uh, rice and sugar and beans and all kinds of basic things that we just wanted to take to bless this village. And off we uh, went, uh, trudging through what turned out to be a much longer journey, of course, than we anticipated, those mountain rugged regions of Central America, arriving finally at the end of the day, exhausted and dirty from the, the dry dust of the area at this little tiny village. And we were looking for any way to refresh ourselves. The folks in the village, of course, in their Spanish, communicated to us that if we would follow the creek just just a little bit further, we could leave our packs there, but walk just a little bit further, we'd find a delightful, refreshing water spot. Well, the creek running through the village was basically a bunch of semi-muddy rocks. That's what the creek was. We didn't have a whole lot of optimism about this. We started to walk up the hill, so you're going again further up, climbing more trails and so forth, already exhausted, and got to probably a hundred yards up, and maybe there was a little tiny ripple going down through the center of those rocks. We didn't really want to go any further, didn't believe that up ahead would be something that could refresh us. And so we sent one of our members that still had a little bit of juice on up the way. And then heard him calling, come on up, it's fantastic. Still couldn't really believe that anything great could be at the top of that little muddy rock bed. And we arrived and found about a 25-foot around hole filled with at least 15 feet of water being fed with a refreshing stream that came down over a little waterfall. And we swam to our joy and our delight in that creek for probably an hour or so. It was incredibly refreshing. We think about the gospel. The gospel's like that in, in a lot of ways too, isn't it? We maybe know something about it. We maybe see some creek bed, some evidence that it's 
there and that it has power and that it can be fulfilling for us. But it feels like we're having some times to take another long walk after what already feels like a long hike each day in our lives to get that joy, to really experience that joy. And so we need God's Word to remind us that it's really there. That if, if we'll walk towards it by faith, and we'll believe that it's there, we'll find in the Lord joy and refreshment. Not just one time, not just here and there, but every day that we can seek that joy and find that joy. If you want to follow along with me in your worship guide, you can. There's a notes section at the, at the back. And it really highlights this main idea which draws from the Galatians passage and then we'll piggyback and jump over into our psalm passage as well. As we saw last week, God freely adopts us in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that again in just a moment. He freely adopts us in the Holy Spirit so that we can have and experience fullness of joy in Him. And a fundamental question for us Today, it's a simple one. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Well, we saw last week, I mentioned again in our Galatians passage, that as we look over the course of the summer at this fruit of the Spirit, that we really can't understand or grasp it or experience it if we don't get at least three things. The soil that that plant is rooted in, the fertilizer that feeds that plant, and the water that supplies that plant. I won't go back through all of what I mentioned last week in that regard, but I want to highlight it again. I know it's summertime. We're coming and going. The Peters family even will be headed here and there a little bit, so we'll, we'll review a little bit here each week. And you all who are able to be here each week, you'll have to forgive us to, to just get everybody else up to speed. Take a look at Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. It reminds us of this wonderful soil that the plant of the gospel is rooted in if we have received Christ, if we put our trust in Him. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Reminded here again that we're rooted, our relationship with the Lord is rooted in this soil of knowing God as our Father. In your worship guide, I noted a statement from John Calvin, who said, describing different groups of people, those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. He said about those who are not in Christ, he said, they are like irreligious men who are carried hither and thither by a blind and uncertain joy. But they, speaking of believers, that, but they have that which alone gives ground for full joy, their reliance on God's fatherly kindness. It's that fatherly love that God has, our adopted status that gives us joy. 
We also saw, look over in Galatians 5 real quickly with me again, verse 13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's the fertilizer of God's work in our lives. The fertilizer that's going to yield this fruit in our lives is the freedom that we have. Freedom from being enslaved and trapped into living life just for self and being allowed to begin to live it in the joy and relationship with God. We see as well, particularly in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 16 and 17, that this fruit ultimately flows from the, from the rich waters, from the flowing waters of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. As we walk by the Spirit, as we're nurtured by the Spirit, then we're able to see and experience. And it's interesting, Luke 10, 21, you don't need to turn there, but it says simply that Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned last week, you know, all this is, is tough for us. It's tough in a general way because we, we don't always remember that high and lofty status we have as adopted children of God and, and, and have joy that's flowing out of that. And we can easily forget, too, the freedom that we experience in the Gospel. A freedom that frees us from really a, a barren and joyless life to a, a life of experiencing vibrancy with God. And that freedom also uh, can be used. We have to be careful with our freedom. That freedom can also be misdirected to many counterfeit joys, to many false sources of joy. We not only see that, but as we look at Psalm 4, and you can maybe turn over there with me now again, using that good dexterity there. Let's get over to Psalm 4. Reminds us in several places here in this situation that David is going through that he was facing some serious trials. And, and trials really do test our ability to hold on to the joy and grow in the joy that we have in the Lord. Whether it's disappointment with a, a job situation that's not working out the way you had hoped, struggles as a family with marriage or children, uh, disappointments with just loss and experiencing losses in our life of loved ones, whatever it is. Those kind of times of trial really push us up against the wall and demand that we figure out, where am I going to get joy? We don't even have to be in times of trial, though, if we know our hearts and to begin to evaluate them at all. We know that there's sort of a, a spring, there's a, there's, a, there's a well and a spring in our hearts, but it tends to be one of discontentment. Easily get dissatisfied with our life, with our limitations, with whatever we see around us. And that ultimately fuels, like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we saw when that discontentment begins to work in, begins to take root instead of the gospel and starts to push that gospel off to the side, then we find ourselves growing forth sin. Adam and Eve said, hey, God's really not got the best thing for us. We've got to find another way to find joy, to find satisfaction. And it's not by walking with Him. 
So let's take a look then at these reminders in Galatians and in Psalm 4 of really three things of how God can be and is the source of our joy, of how we can savor that joy, really taste and feed upon that and delight ourselves in it. And lastly, how we can be vigilant to not easily surrender that joy. Take a look with me back at our Psalm 4, verse 6. The first question David raises is a pretty good one. Probably one we've thought about in some form or fashion at different points along the way in our lives. Who will show us some good? Now, people outside are, are raising this question, but certainly David had to raise the question himself as he sees his own son turning against him, wondering where good can come. And the same's true for us today. The world outside of us asks, can, can God really be that good? Can He really be the source of joy? Does He even really exist and provide the joy and life that we need? We, we certainly don't need a sort of new atheism to tell us something that's always been out there in the world. And that is to question whether it is that God is there and can be for us the source of joy. As I said a minute ago, though, we really don't always need that much help from the outside world with that struggle. We wrestle with it as well as we face difficulty, as we face struggles in particular. We can ask, who's going to show us any good? Where can we anchor our joy? It's not only that, though, when you think about it. It's not just the tough situations, but also times of triumph, times of victory, times when things are going well that we struggle to find joy in the Lord. Because those secondary joys can derail the primary one. Think about it. Wasn't it King David, who's writing this, who at the peak of his prosperity, materially, nationally, militarily, chose to turn away? And to seek his sin with Bathsheba and then to add to that murder with her husband Uriah. Not just in times of trial that we can get derailed from finding our joy in the Lord. It's also times of triumph. So it's no surprise that the psalmist all the way through, and if you want to just take a sampling, just start, pick anywhere in the psalm sometime and start reading. I doubt you will go more than three or four chapters in the Psalms without finding something about joy. A couple passages that I'll just highlight. They're, they're almost endless. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you, Lord, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm sixteen eleven says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 19. It's a psalm all about, it's about on the one hand how we see God through creation and then also how we see Him through His law. Now, there's one thing you would think, well, there's not a whole lot of joy in obeying God's law or knowing or thinking about God's law. Fascinating that the psalmist reminds us that the precepts of the Lord are right that they give joy to the heart. Indeed, back in Deuteronomy, you don't need to turn there, but chapter 8, 
God's Word says to observe the command of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and revering Him. It says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with springs flowing and valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, olive oil and honey. Nice picture. Sounds like a joyful place. Sounds like a wonderful spot to be. When you have eaten, though, it says in verse 10, and have been satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. And then it says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands. Otherwise, when you eat and satisfy, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and you have multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say, verse 17, to yourself, my power, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for He's the one who gives you the ability. That's what it means to see that God is the source of our joy. That all the good things come from Him and to remind ourselves of that. And it's interesting to me, look at the second half of verse 6 in Psalm 4 now. This phrase is one that just, I think if, you, if we just commit this to memory and meditate on this, it would help us each day probably to, to have a picture of finding joy in God. It says, that, it says this, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You know, I've probably said this before, but faces are interesting, aren't they? The power, the capacity they have to convey something. If you've ever had that opportunity where you've, you've met a new person, you're just meeting them for the first time, and you, you know, reach out a, a gesture of, of greeting, of putting your hand out, and, and maybe get a, a smile on your face along with it, and you're met with crossed arms and a frown on the face. It affects things right away, doesn't it? A face says something. The opposite is true as well, isn't it? Look on a Sunday morning when one of these young moms with a new little one comes in to our church family. You would think that that mom was handing out free gift cards to the local nail salon as all the other moms come over and gather together. To do what? You looking at the feet of the kid? Are you looking at their knuckles? They're looking at the face. They want to see the face of that little child. And it brings joy. Faces, human faces, can affect our perspective dramatically, can't they? How much more? The face of God shining upon us. What a picture. It's a picture. It's a metaphor, of course. A metaphor for all the grace, all the blessing that God pours out upon us. We're reminded in this passage that we can draw great joy from God and see all the other joys in our life through that lens as well. Uh, Dax led us in prayer earlier and, and, and did so well reminding us that the temporal joys that we experience in this life, they're not bad. They're not bad things to have marriage success, to have job success, to have physical health, to have material provision, to have whatever it is. But, but we've got to have that be a lens to the face of God that's behind all that joy. So we get 
to the second thing we see in our passage. And that is that we should savor this joy. Look, at, look with me at verse 7 of Psalm 4. It says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David's hiding out in a cave, most likely, with just a small bunch of what used to be a large army and force, and he was in a you know, castle of sorts, in his, in his house, in his mansion, just however many days or months before. You can imagine him picturing the festivals and parties and gatherings that he used to enjoy with the grain and wine and the good things that they were able to enjoy. But he reminds us that God puts more joy in our hearts than even those things. And what I want us to think about then, and it might be a new concept for us, is, you know, think about what it is that gives you joy in your life. Maybe just, you know, sort of routine things. A good cup of coffee. You really like that cup of coffee, and that brings you some joy. Maybe you like to go to an action-packed movie. An action-packed movie. Maybe it's a fulfilling discussion, really talking deeply with someone around you. Maybe it's a physical workout, like to get the blood flowing, and you enjoy that. Maybe it's, as I mentioned earlier, job success, or maybe it's marital intimacy. Those things are things that bring joy. And what I want us to think about here is that really in the gospel, we've got an invitation not just to see God through those secondary joys, but to actually have God be our joy. Be our delight. Who He is, His person, to have ourselves rooted in Him. So that who we know Him to be fills us with joy. You know, we do something each week, or try to do something each week to really help ourselves with that. And it's what we're doing right here. Part of the reason we gather together for worship. We're trying to encourage one another to find joy in God, to worship Him. That as we turn to Him, and it's fascinating, I already read one verse that referred to singing for joy. If you want to look for joy in the, in the Psalms again, and you want to look between Psalm 98 and Psalm 132, it's all over the place, and almost everywhere in those chapters, it talks about singing for joy. Singing for joy. Now we can, of course, do that individually, and hopefully we do sing in our mind, and maybe some of us sing out loud during the week on our own for joy in the Lord. That's part of what we come together here, though, to worship God and to encourage one another to savor the joy that we have in Him. The joy that we have in Him. I mentioned earlier the struggles that we face and how those can kind of pull us away from really savoring God as our joy. And I'll just mention one psalm. I don't know if it's listed in your worship guide, but Psalm 30, verse 11, says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, that was a mourning garment they wore, and clothed me with joy. That's a tough one, isn't it? And let's not make light of that. Even in our relatively small church family, we've faced in just the last three and a half years uh, our share of trials and difficulties, uh, loss of children in our 
church, loss of other loved ones, serious illness that's been faced and currently is facing. We're praying for some of that right now. Difficult marriage and parenting situations, job losses, estranged relationships in our family or in our friendships. It's tough in the middle of that to really be able to pivot and get to a place of saying, God, even in the midst of my mourning, you're going to fill my heart with dancing. You're able to fill me with joy. And so it's a step of faith. It's like walking up that creek bed and not knowing that there's a big old refreshing waterfall and pool of water to jump in up there to turn our hearts that way. It really is. It really is. Savoring, savoring joy in the Lord. One other passage I'll mention on this point is in John 15. And you, you can turn there if you want to with me. John's in the New Testament there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 15, because, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, savor, savor the Lord for who He is, but it's another thing to actually kind of figure out how to do that, you know, Monday morning, if you will. This maybe will give us some help. John 15, verse 8 through 11. John 15, verse 8 through 11. This is the passage you may have you know, heard at some point in your life about Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. And so, you know, of course, fits great. goes right along with our idea of the fruit of the Spirit and the joy flowing out of that. It's almost like God had a plan for His Word when He put it together. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That word abide is strong. You know, live in it, walk in it, breathe it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. This is important. I can't just talk about joy and say we're experiencing joy and not Pursue that joy within the direction that God gives us, His commandments. If we're going outside of that to find joy, by default, it's a, it's a false joy. It's a counterfeit joy. So He gives us His good commandments to direct us to Him, to, to, to push us up that trail in the right direction to that refreshing pool. And then it says this thing, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be there's a fullness of joy that we can seek that we ought to seek that's really never ending it's like arriving at that pool up in the mountain i described and it goes on and on it's endless that's the kind of joy we can have in the lord last thing we want to see in our passage is that we should not surrender our joy Shouldn't easily give ground with our joy. And I'm taking this back from our Galatians passage, so see if you can flip back over there. This will be our last main point for the morning is, is in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul is describing uh, their spiritual situation and he's concerned about where these people are in the Galatian churches. And what's happened to their relationship with the Lord. 
Because they've got derailed from joy in a way that we really haven't even talked about yet. So let's, let's talk about it. He says, formerly when you did not know God, this is Galatians 4, 8, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now you've come to know God, or rather are known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slave you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. And then jumping down to verse 15. What has become of the blessing you felt? The way the ESV puts it. Other translations just say, what's happened to all your joy? To all your joy. Well, what happened? What's the problem for them? Their problem isn't a sort of worldly counterfeit joy. It's not running to everything out there in the world. Their problem is a counterfeit spirituality that's built around their own ability to obey certain rules and regulations. He says, you've gone back to these old ways of trying to establish your standing with God by your own performance. And it's killing your joy. It's killing it. Look uh, just a couple of chapters later in uh, Philippians, just a few pages further back towards the back of your Bible. In chapter 3, let me read this passage where the Apostle Paul uh, shares about how we can have joy in the face of our tendency to try to find joy in our own religious performance, our own religious obedience. And he doesn't have good things to say about those who foster this sort of legalistic version of the gospel that says it's got to be about you and what you do. It says in verse 2 of Philippians 3, Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who's he talking about? Are these hoodlums somewhere? Is this horrible folks advancing some godless morality? No, these are folks trying to keep the letter of the law. But there's a huge problem with that. If that's our hope, if that's our joy, listen to what he says. He says, we are the real circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence. And then he gives this list of his credentials, spiritually speaking. He says, if anyone else thinks he's got reasons for confidence, I got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. What's Paul talking about there? He's saying, oh, be very careful that when we seek to respond to the gospel and live our lives a certain way in line with God's commandments, and boy, we ought to try to do that, Don't ever start to think that we do that on our own power, that we can do that in any way that merits His love. Because if you're not standing on His grace, you're standing somewhere else. And it's on your own merits. 
Paul says, I count that rubbish. That's trash. Because I want to be rooted in Christ and have my joy in Him. So guard that joy. Defend it. One story to finish. I like to watch that older movie, probably more of a guy thing, The Battle of Britain. Amazing story, though, about that time when Britain had sought to accommodate Nazi Germany and to avoid another war like World War I. And before they knew it, all of Europe swallowed up and on their doorstep just 26 miles away over in France across the English Channel is the full might of German naval, air, and infantry power sitting right there. And they were offered an opportunity. I don't know if you remember this, but they were offered a chance to just surrender. Just say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll give it up. You know, we'll, we'll go along. And even told, of course, uh, that they would be given certain special status within the whole empire and regime of the Nazi forces. Well, they decided instead to fight. To say, we're going we're gonna to keep, we're going to hold on to this. We're not going to give this up. And if you remember that story, it's an amazing account of how just a couple of hundred pilots managed to decimate a huge portion of the German Air Force and to maintain that freedom that they cherished so dearly. To not give it up. To fight to keep it. It can feel like that for us a lot of times. Got lots of other places that offer kind of a surrender for us. Surrender your joy to this. Or I'll give, give you a place. Okay, I'll give you some kind of joy. But it's a counterfeit joy. What a blessing. And we can look to God as the source, the ultimate fulfillment of all our longing for joy. C.S. Lewis says, God gives what He has, not what He has not. He gives the happiness that there is, not the happiness that is not. To be God, to be like God, and to be miserable, these are the only three alternatives for us. If we will not learn to eat the food that the universe grows, he's talking about joy from God, the only food that is possible, any possible universe can ever grow, then we must starve. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the reminder for us to turn to You, the wellspring of all joy and delight. And I pray that You would help each one of us to do that for our good and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.